Hey listeners, we've loved delving into the business of wine with you and our guests. Your feedback via email, text, social media, and by joining us on our live episodes on Clubhouse has meant the world to us, and we keep striving to do better and better. Some of you have asked on how you can help support the show. So we've decided to launch on Patreon, where your contributions can offset the cost of the show and you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. To become a patron of X Chateau, go to patreon.com slash X Chateau to lend your support starting at $5 a month. You can find the link in our show notes or on xchateau.com. We will give a shout out to all new patrons each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are continuing our series on the future of wine retail. And today, our guests are Jeffrey Shaw, CEO and founder of Underground Cellar, and Jeff Hardy, CEO of Underground Cellar. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Great. Thanks for having us, Robert and Peter. Great to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. Excited. So just because they both have the same first name, we're going to be calling Jeff Hardy just Jeff, and we're going to be calling Jeffrey Shaw Jeffrey, just so it's a little bit easier so you guys know who we're talking about. Just want to get that out of the way going forward. I was wondering if each of you, and we'll start with Jeffrey, you could give Peter and I a brief background on yourselves and your history in wine. I'm a a wine lover in my core, and it started back when I was in college. Um, This is really sort of how the early stage of Underground Cellar came to be. I loved wine. My friends and I, we'd go out wine tasting. And just through that, I really grew an appreciation for the different types of wine, the varietals, the regions. When I had a small exit from my last company and I was looking to do something new, I knew that I really wanted to start a business in just doing something that I loved. Just as a wine consumer and a wine lover, that's uh, how uh, the idea for uh, Underground Cellar really came about and how my love for wine started. The wine bug must have bit you pretty hard to go from a consumer to, I'm going to start a company in this space. And Jeff, could you give us your brief background on how you got into wine? Yeah, my background is also not like a super typical background into the wine world. I don't come from wine industry. My background from a work perspective has been in the tech world, focused a lot on small to medium-sized businesses and figuring out how to kind of amplify them and give them a bigger presence to a larger audience across the web from my time at Google, from my time at Yahoo, and with my last startup working on a mobile payments company. And I love marketplaces and I love stuff that disrupts kind of like a more traditional sector and also really helps the small business owner. That's kind of like what drew me to Underground Sellers as a whole. And when I met Jeff, the model to me was just game changing and super disruptive. This whole notion of selling by upgrading the experience for a consumer that makes it super exciting and feeling like you're always getting more value and doing it in a way that really made the seller, the winemaker, feel like they were able to bring their brand in a very proud, more valuable way to the consumer. It was just, to me, it was just a brilliant model. With my connection to wine, I moved out to California in 2008 and being here close to Napa and Sonoma, it just became a big part of my life. Going up there and the experience of being in one of the most beautiful places in the world and discovering all these different types of wine, I just fell in love with it. And so I was like, wow, this is amazing. I can match one of my hobbies with a skill set that I happen to have and do something with someone who thinks super creatively about this area of the world and hopefully do something really meaningful for the whole ecosystem. So Jeffrey, you said you had a small exit, had a love of wine that you built in college, but why did you decide to found underground sellers? And how do you think of it? Is it truly a wine company or is it more of a tech company? I appreciate the question, Peter. So yeah, so I founded a company when I was in college. As you mentioned, I had a small exit in that. And I found myself with a couple of years and a little bit of money to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I was watching a TV program, CNBC or something, and there was this statistic, and I don't know how real it is or not, but what they said is that five out of six companies fail in the first year. And that just really like stuck with me. And I'm like, man, like the odds are definitely stacked against me in starting a new company. But this light bulb went off. And I said, I said, you know what? All I need to do is just start six companies. And one of them is bound to be successful. And so that's like literally actually what I did. I came up with the best six ideas I could think of. And I was really structured about it. I divided my day into two hour blocks. I worked on 
each company, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., 10 a.m. to noon. And I did this. And I told myself, after 90 days, whichever one of these businesses was showing the most promise, I was going to kill off the other five and focus 100% of my energy on this one business. Luckily for all the wine lovers in America, that business ended up being underground seller. And I started this when I was back in my hometown of Scottsdale, Arizona. It quickly started to take off like wildfire, came out to San Francisco, raised a little bit of venture funding. And from there, started to assemble my dream team, including executives like Jeff Hardy. To answer the question of do we view ourselves as a tech company or do we view ourselves as a wine company? It's a really interesting question that I think like goes beyond just us these days, right? I think that question might have been a very valid question five, six, ten years ago. Now, I think like any business is a tech company, right? In order to kind of really reach your audience and provide the value to consumers that I think every company like is aiming to provide, you have to have a big tech component into that company. Now, the question is, is like, what is your relationship with tech and how do you use that to differentiate yourself and make a really special product? I think it's front and center to what we're doing, but it's a means to an end. At the core of what we're doing, we believe that we should be able to kind of democratize the wine experience, give like any and everyone who's interested in wine access to the best wine, access to a broad variety, and do it in a way where there aren't these barriers to entry from a knowledge perspective or from a cost perspective, the where do I start perspective. And the way that we do that is we have a lot of underlying tech that allows us to be able to merchandise in a really effective way by which we can combine different varieties of bottles from different price points and bring to you something that has a ton of value. Um, We're able to do that by looking at demand and consumer preferences and be able to merchandise with amazing bottles in a more predictive way at scale with our tech. And so at the heart of it, we're like, hey, at the end of the day, a consumer just wants to drink amazing wine and wants to continue to discover and always feel confident that what they're drinking is going to be amazing. And we're able to use tech to ensure that we're able to do that at scale. They go hand in hand. So it's an interesting segue to one of the hallmarks that I find for Underground Cellar is the gamification of the world of wine, which is something that gamification's rippled across many, many industries on the techniques of anything from LinkedIn to basically any form of commerce. But it hasn't really gotten a foothold in the wine industry, except for Underground Cellar. And I'm curious on if you could talk a little bit more about the mechanic of how you were trying to gamify things and how do you view it as a key component of the platform? Here at Underground Cellar, our goal is to democratize access to the best wines in the world, whether you're a wine aficionado, casual drinker, whether you are wealthy or just starting out in your career. And our goal is to turn every wine drinker into a wine collector for life. And I mentioned this because when you think about our upgrade model um, and how Underground Cellar works, everywhere else on the internet or even brick and mortar, you go in, you buy a bottle of wine, and you either walk out of the store with it or you ship it to your door. And when we were founding Underground Cellar, we said, let's take a step back and say, like, how should the wine industry actually exist? How should people have a relationship with wine? And then let's build it from the ground up from there. You look at the wine industry, it's largely an antiquated industry, not a ton of technology or evolution. And we thought that with our backgrounds of technology and our love of wine, we do something really special. And so instead of selling a specific bottle of wine, we instead have some of the leading wine experts curate wines into collections. For example, today we have a deal that's Napa Valley Cabernet. And in this collection, every bottle of wine is a Cabernet from Napa Valley. But you're not buying a specific bottle. Instead, it's a collection of wines that's been curated, and they're at different price points. So the deal I'm mentioning, $30 a bottle, you get a delicious bottle of Mandavi Cabernet. And if you went to the winery, you paid $30 for that bottle. But instead of incentivizing people to buy from this collection because everyone's going to get some discount, instead, what we do is when you buy in this collection, half or more of the bottles you buy get upgraded. They get swapped out to more expensive bottles. For example, one out of five bottles, instead of a $30 bottle of Napa Valley Cab, you get a $50 bottle. One out of 10 bottles, a $100 bottle. And there's a handful of people where we got Heidi Barrett 
the original winemaker for Screaming Eagle, the queen of cold Cabernet. We got her autographs from Screaming Eagles. And for when you pay $30, you could get upgraded to this autographed, like $6,000 bottled Screaming Eagle. And so our view is that we can incentivize people to buy from these collections, not because, hey, everyone's going to get a discount, which is, as I'm sure you're aware, horrible for wine brands. Once a wine floods wine to market at deep discount, it can take them years to regain their price points. Everyone who paid full price is irritated. Distributors, if they see that a winery is blowing wine out on one of these deal flash sale sites, you better believe they're going to come in and demand better pricing going forward. So instead of using discounts, people get upgrades. And when I mentioned before, we're democratizing access. This allows everyone, no matter who you are, to have access to these amazing bottles like Autograph Screaming Eagle. And so that's our model. And then the other really unique thing that we've done when we analyze the wine industry and how consumers interact with wine, we also invented what we call cloud seller, where every customer can store up to 500 bottles of wine in our Napa Valley wine cellar for free. And anytime you want, you can go on our website, see all the different bottles that you bought at any point, mix and match bottles from your own collection and ship them on demand. And anytime you ship out a case, the customer is going to get free shipping as well. And so everything from upgrades, the discovery, the variety, to gaining access to unique gems, to being able to store that bottle and take control of how and when you receive that wine. We're just tearing down all the barriers that exist in our quest to make wine approachable and fun for everyone. Yeah, so I mean, it's some interesting concept because I definitely see the approachability and fun and the fact that if I buy six bottles, that three might become something better. It's not necessarily guaranteed though, right? It's like... Is it a percentage of the total? Is it first in, first out? Kind of like the people who bought earlier? Like, how do you determine who gets upgraded bottles? And is it, because there's, it seems like a level of like this upgrade is like, I always just go back to like airlines, right? It's like, ooh, I hope, but there's always a priority setting, right? There's always something in the background, like what's your status or did someone pay for it or something like that? Like, so I'm curious on how you guys figure out who gets that. And I have a follow-up question after we answer that one, but maybe we can cover that first. Yeah, so there is a unique element of our platform there is this somewhat randomness built in, right? And for many people who might be listening, they're still trying to wrap their heads around this. A really great analogy is, imagine you had this really big duffel bag and there's all the different wines that are in here. And that example I gave before, for $30, you get to reach your hand in and pull out one of these bottles. And as soon as you pay and check out, it's immediately revealed to you which bottle you've been rewarded with. And so... There is an algorithm. And so leaning into our technology background, technology roots, it's not purely random. There's all this technology and this algorithm that ensures that every time you buy, you're going to get a great experience, a lot of variety, and a lot of great value. Hardy, you want to add on to that? You know, Hardy is the technology executive. And so I'm sure he's got some unique insights to it as well. Think about it less of like how we're kind of using tech to make a great experience versus like saying, first and foremost, we want someone to have a great experience. So we look at you as a customer, we say, what should the experience be by which you're saying underground seller gives me the most value? That's the experience that I want to go to rather than someone else. And so it's more about understanding you as a customer and understanding kind of what your purchasing behavior has been through the lifetime of your experience through us and how we continue to balance that from a wine varietal perspective, from a value perspective, and ensuring that you never have like less value than we believe any customer should have who comes to underground sellers. So saying like, hey, we look at you over a lifetime and you should at least have gotten this many upgrades in order to say, hey, it's worth it for me to come to underground seller because I know that there's going to be more value. And then there's always a chance of having on top of that, right? So we're constantly analyzing that to ensure that your lifetime value, everyone talks from a tech perspective, what is the lifetime value of a customer, meaning how much have they spent through you? We look at almost the other way around. We say, what is your lifetime value that you've received by being an underground seller customer? And that's super important to us. Okay. So you're comparing the LTV that you get from them versus the essentially retail value that you're providing to them over time and hoping to widen that gap the longer you have someone as a customer. You think about it, of course, we're a company who wants to continue to have like great business fundamentals so we can continue to provide an amazing service to our customers. But I guess my meta point here is that we don't look at how many bottles that you've just purchased through us over the time. Right? We don't say, hey, this is a great job because this person has purchased 500 bottles through us or 1,000 bottles through us. 
we look at it and say, how much value have we provided to that customer over their lifetime as a customer with Underground Seller? So they paid X amount of dollars and gotten this amount of value from wine. And it should be a minimum amount above that. And if it's above that, and we keep pushing ourselves to be able to figure out how we can provide more and more value, then we're doing our job. We want everyone to say, I got more value by buying through Underground Seller. I got access to a bunch of wines that I wouldn't get anywhere else. I got exposure to wines that I wouldn't have known about. And I can do it in a way where someone doesn't come and say, hey, in order for you to get access to that, you need to first tell me, like, what do you like about wine? What are the tasting, you know, when anyone comes up to me in a restaurant and like says and tries to do it in the most innocuous way, um, what type of wine do you like? What flavor do you, immediately, historically, I would shut off. I'd be like, "Ah, I'm going to answer wrong. Like they're going to judge me. I don't know how to express myself. And that's what we're trying to solve here is that we learn enough about you, right? Based on what you're buying. Therefore, we can make sure to continue to curate these amazing collections going forward that we believe will drive the most demand because we're compiling a bunch of wines together that we think will fit customer profiles. And we can provide you value on top of that. And those two things together, we think is a winning combo. Interesting. I completely get that. I love that it's like instant gratification. Once you purchase, you instantly know what you got out of it. I am curious on the democratization part because I like that in the mission statement, but it's not something I necessarily jumped to when I was doing the research in terms of how that is. And so is that about breaking down the barriers around allocated wines, these like super rare gems that you have to like know someone or be on a list for 10 years to get into? Is it really, is that where you're using democratization or is there more than that? Yeah, it's that, but it's definitely more than that as well. And when you look at our model from how we built it from the ground up, you know, we've been spending a lot of our conversation, you're talking about how this is exciting for the consumer and the upgrades that they're getting. But wine is definitely like, two-sided, right? And when we are using our upgrade model, this is so aligned on the supply side. And because of the fact that these wineries don't have to put the big red X to their price and today only 30% off, we are able to get access to bottles of wine on underground seller that the other sites on the internet would dream of. And because we're able to bring the best wines from the best winemakers to our platform, we are able to give access to these bottles to people who otherwise would have to be good friends with the winemaker to get access to these library bottles, these vintages, the large formats, the autographs. And so the democratization is access. Can they even get access to these wines? And then can we make sure that we present them in an approachable way where everyone feels included in the narrative and a part of the process? Yeah, just to add on to that, because it's a really important topic. And I also think it's like one of these watered down terms these days where everyone's talking about democratizing something, right? And for us, though, it's like really important, especially in an industry that it, for a long time has felt or a segment that's felt like only for a certain segment of the population, right? You had to have a certain amount of knowledge, you had to have a certain amount of money, and you needed to have like a certain amount of relationships, like who you knew to get access to certain bottles, how much money you had to be able to like get a $250 bottle and how much like knowledge you had to have to even know where to start. What's the difference between a Grenache, a Syrah and a Pinot, right? Like the majority of people who are still interested in wine couldn't answer that question. So it's built on those three things, right? Knowledge, you look at a lot of sites, they might do a survey at the beginning, ask you like, tell us about what types of food. We don't ask you anything. Right. And we think that's really important because we want to be that trusted person in the wine shop that is kind of recommending these wines to you and you build that trust. And there's still a lot of people that are entering into their kind of like wine journey and they might be like, oh, I've heard about that $250 bottle of Opus. But, you know, is it really worth it? Do I really want to spend the money to like buy it? That's a lot of and we want to give people that ability to try in a more accessible comfortable way where it feels safe and they don't feel like they're giving up so much to kind of enjoy something that we think is worth enjoying. And hopefully we can show that to you and then you can aspire to kind of continue to reach those higher price points. One of the analogies we have is like, hey, you can't necessarily explain to someone why driving a Porsche is like, much better than driving a Toyota Camry, right? Like you could say all these things, but you don't really know it until you get in and you drive and you're like, wow, that felt amazing. And we want someone to get into that Porsche and be like, that was an amazing experience. 
And I can do it in a very accessible way that also keeps me really excited and interested in wine. That's what we're trying to achieve there with uh, some of the democratization aspects. So you mentioned how your model with the upgrades is different from a discounter model. Do you think the customers who buy from underground sellers are similar or different segment of the wine buying market than who buy from discounters? It's a really great question. And I think when you're creating a new model and you're kind of disrupting a space, you have to think about it from a new perspective. There's a really interesting story. When I was first talking to Jeffrey about joining the company, I have a friend who's been in the wine industry for a long time. He looked at what we were doing and he asked me, he's like, who is your target market? I'm trying to figure it out because I don't really understand. And my answer to him was, you don't understand because our target market is everyone, right? There's mechanics and elements built into the model that work for all different types of folks. Jeff talked about aficionados and amateurs alike, right? So we have people come in who have access to as much wine as any consumer would have out there. And they still come to us because we give them access to things that they just can't get, right? These autograph bottles of Screaming Eagle by Heidi Barrett, really curating amazing collections. We have folks that are just kind of like discovering and entering into the wine world who say, I don't know how to express what I like or where I want to start, but I want to trust and I want great value. And it feels really good to get upgraded versus having to go and pick a specific bottle of wine and buy from a discount site. And then we have people that are building like large collections and they want variety, right? And so they come in and they say that they know every time they come in that they can get into a collection that has variety and they can start building up their collections in a way that's really interesting and exciting. To me, it's like, I think there are no good options for people that want to buy online right now if they want to get good value outside of underground seller, right? The main way to go and buy wine is to buy from a discount site. So I don't necessarily think that a big segment of the population are these like discount hunters, discount seekers. It's just how you buy wine right now. And so a lot of those people are shifting from those channels and coming over to Underground Seller and saying, hey, this feels better because like brands are being propped up. I feel like I'm getting something really special because it's like I'm getting more value rather than cheapening something and feeling like I just like took something that should be very, very special that I want to share with my friends and store in my cellar and say that I got it for 50% off. Like that doesn't feel good for anyone, right? So the market for us is any and everyone that is interested in wine. And we believe that we're providing enough value, enough variety and enough access that it's going to attract most folks. But I would not say that the majority of wine retail or even online wine retail is just discounters, because I think there's a variety of other businesses out there that are more about curation or even selection like a wine.com, curation like a Psalm Select or something like that, that isn't focused on discounts. So I, I think they have different customer segments than the discounters do. Yeah, I'll let Jeffrey like answer some of this too, but I would push back on the wine.com aspect, right? Like you might get there and there might be a lot of different components that are built into their business model. But when they advertise to you and they try to get me to come in and become a wine.com customer, they're advertising based on those big discounts that I see. It's like, here's a special 25% off, 50% off. And so that's the hook that they're trying to bring you in. We never do that, right? Because we want you to always feel like you're getting more value, that you're getting more access, that you're getting something more than what you paid for, which is like an amazing feeling. And so I do agree with you that there are other models out there that for various reasons, we also believe are somewhat restrictive, right? Like locking you into wine clubs, all these other things. But at the end of the day, we believe we just have a different relationship with the wineries and with the customers because of the way that we position the value of the bottles, right? We never want this to feel like a commodity. We never want this to feel like something that's cheapened. We want this to be elevated and propped up. When you buy that amazing bottle that has like this highly allocated and low production, we want you to feel like you got access to it and it was special, not that you got a lower price. Jeffrey, is there anything you want to add to that? What I would just say is at the end of the day, when someone is buying a bottle of wine online or otherwise, what they're really looking for, just a great bottle of wine. And when you look at the wine that's available online, there's several constraints that I think are disadvantageous either for the consumer or the supply side, like the wineries. One of which is when you think about a lot of these sites, you mentioned Psalm Select. A lot of respect for Ian Cobble, 
But when you think about these sites that they take one bottle and they're trying to blow it out, whether they are representing it as a discount or not, in order for them to do that, these online retailers, they have to get enough margin and supply of a specific bottle. And in doing so, they're going after largely distressed inventory, inventory with a lot of supply. And when you compare the underground seller model, how we have so many different bottles of wine in a curated collection, we are able to partner with amazing wineries like Opus One and put them in our offers, combine them with boutique wineries that consumers may not be aware of yet, where in many cases, they just don't have deep supply. If a winery wants to be featured on a lot of these internet sites, you know, wine.com included, they need a lot of deep inventory on a specific SKU. What's unique about Underground Cellar is that we can go to winery and really uncover what makes a winemaker super excited. And it's oftentimes not the big, bold Cabernet, which these wineries definitely lean on because, hey, that's what consumers want and that's why it sells. But when you think about what really gets these winemakers excited, it's dabbling with unique proprietary blends, unique varietals, unique vintages, and doing something really special. And with Underground Cellar, not only can we uncover the story and really get deep into that, but because we're curating a lot of wines together, we oftentimes will work with a winery on a skew, but they might only have a few bottles, a case or even less. And so we believe that consumers want amazing wine at a great value. And we believe that we can provide that value in a way that isn't focused just on price or ratings. How do we uncover the story of that winery? How do we uncover something special from that winery? And by partnering with wineries in a situation like we do, we are able to bring like the best wines, the ones that might not be on the store shelves or the restaurant menu, and really bring them to our consumers. And I think that's how we can bring the quality to price ratio to our users in a manner that's not just driven by price. Jeff made like a really interesting point to me. He said a lot of wineries depend upon like their hallmark varietals like Cabernet or Pinot because it's what customers want. And that's where we like strongly disagree, right? It's what customers think they want right now. It's because that's like really what they only know. And that's where we partnered mostly with the wineries to say there are amazing wines that you will love just as much as these other wines that you go to when you're buying one off. You just don't know about them. And we make them because we believe in them and we believe that they deserve to exist in the wine world and that people should taste them. And because of the model, like Jeff said, where we kind of have more control over the offer that we're giving to you, right? Like you're making a trade-off as a consumer, which is like, I have a little less choice or control over what I'm buying because I'm not buying one off bottle, but we're going to give you an upgrade and you're going to trust us that we're giving you amazing wine. And so we can use that to our advantage to be able to partner more closely with the wineries to say, hey, we can deliver this bottle to your potential customer with low risk, they're going to discover an amazing new wine. And maybe next time when they go look for a one-off bottle, they're not going to look for a cab. They're going to go and look for a Grenache. That's really exciting for us. Jeffrey, as you had mentioned earlier, and you guys have both talked about just now, it is a multi-sided market and your job is to serve not only the end consumer, but also the wineries and distributors and things like that. So I'm curious on how, what is the value proposition for the wineries and distributors that you're working with and how is it unique from other retailers? Because I think that's actually a bigger part of the story that I want to make sure that we cover because we do have a lot of trade listeners to our show. And so I think that's a huge part of this model. And I'd love for you guys to explain a little bit more. How does it work and what's the value proposition for them? Yeah, definitely. When you look at the thousands of wineries that are across America, the far majority of them are not the constellations and gallows of the world. These are wineries and winemakers who are often boutique, family-run, just an example. But like the father is the one who is the winemaker and the mother is the one who runs sales and marketing and the children like work the vineyards or help pack the boxes. And so underground sellers can come in for these wineries who might not have a national distribution profile and we can come in and partner with them in a way that is a win-win for everyone. A lot of these wineries, they could go out, they could hire a marketing or PR agency to get them unique editorial coverage, to get on social media, to get email marketing. They're going to pay thousands or tens of thousands of dollars a month to these marketing companies. We look at Underground Seller as the full stack partner for these wineries where we'll come in when we partner with the winery, 
have a conversation with them about which wines are they most motivated to move. We'll come and do original editorial content on our team in-house. We have award-winning writers who've written for wine enthusiasts, amazing photographers. We'll come out to the winery and really uncover the underground story of this winery and get them this exposure through our social media following where we have over 100,000 followers or email list with nearly a quarter million people on it, create original content and tell the winery story in a way that can't be represented on a shelf at a store like BevMo. And what's beautiful about this is this winery would otherwise pay a ton of money for all these marketing services. An underground seller, we don't charge them anything for any of that. And what better marketing and exposure than getting a bottle of wine in the hand of a customer that's willing to pay for it. And so when we come into a winery, we partner with them and we help them understand their goals, what is important for them. And we have this like consolidated process where we've made a turnkey. It's as easy as working with the distributor where we will do all that original content, all this research and tell the winery story in a way where it's not the same story that you might find on Wikipedia. And that's why consumers are super engaged. And that's why when wineries partner with us, we hear time and time again that once a winery is featured on Underground Cellar, foot traffic to their tasting room spikes, sales directly from their own e-commerce stores or wine clubs is increased as well. And we don't see that as competitive at all, because if we can tell the winery story and get consumers excited about it, it's going to make our partnership with the winery stronger and all ships rise with the tide. And I get that that model. I'm curious on how it's changed over the last couple of years, because a couple of years ago, there was a, an oversupply of wine in the market and maybe makes some of these models a little bit easier to roll out. Although with 2020 and the fires, there's been a, that supply has really dried up a lot. I'm curious on how that's changed for you guys and how difficult it is to get those winery connections now, or are you guys established enough that it's really not a big deal for you? I'll jump in on this one, but there's a lot of things that have happened in the market over the last like, couple of years that have really kind of catalyzed our business and actually created closer, tighter knit relationships on the wine side. A big one is like what's happened in the world with the pandemic and with COVID. A lot of people used to ask us, well, the business is taking off because more consumers are people are at home and they're like drinking more and all this stuff. And we actually don't think that that's the main driver, right? What we think the main driver is the fact on the supply side, right? Over the last like 10, 15 years, everyone talked about this shift to online, shift to digital. You got to learn how to kind of merchandise in a different way to reach a broader audience and be competitive. But for a lot of folks, especially like the small to medium sized mom and pops, right? That was a really hard thing. It might've been on their list, but it might've been number five, right? Because it's like, we have a lot of other things that we need to think about. And when COVID happened and a lot of the traditional channels dried up, like hotels and restaurants and cruise ships and on-premise selling, it was like that number five, number six thing on your list of priorities bumped up to number one. But people were like, we don't have a lot of the skill set or experience to like easily roll this out, right? That's not our core competency. Our core competency is making amazing wine. And then they looked and said, hey, there aren't very many good options for us because there are these different folks that require that like, they're going to look at buying one-off bottles that have certain points that only are certain varietals that rely on discounts. And we use that as an opportunity to get out there and really speak about what we were doing, which was the fact that we don't discount. We have this ability to merchandise in a way where we can take bottles that might be harder to sell one off, but is great wine. We can buy like more of the same SKUs like on a more regular basis because of the way that we can integrate them into different offers and the different customers that we see, right? And that allowed us to develop these really close relationships that became more conversations, like Jeff said, about a partnership, right? It's like, not only what are the wines that you are trying to sell, but like, what are the wines that you're really excited about and that you want to produce more of, but you're a little nervous about producing more of because you're worried that it's going to be more difficult to sell them. That's the type of relationship that we have, like forward looking. And we have the ability to do that at relatively low risk because of the way that we package into collections. And as long as we can like think of amazing collections that are built around these really exciting themes that we think are going to match with customers' desire to build collections at home or in our cloud seller, then we can make those bigger commitments to the winemakers. And so that's kind of how we've aligned there. And for us, 
we're also just getting started, right? There's so many wineries that we're not working with now. We work with folks across the entire U.S. internationally. So like you want a great recent from the Finger Lakes of New York, like we're going to sell that wine, right? And we're going to partner with you. We think there's great wine up in Walla Walla, Washington. We think there's great wine throughout Willamette. We think like, and so even in the Northern California area, right? We're not just in Napa and Sonoma, right? Like we're going to all these other AVAs that we think are great that we want to help folks discover. And we're also partnering with associations, like AVA associations, to help them kind of get their name out there, expose like a lot of their members to the wine drinking world because we have the ability to do so. And that's definitely a big, big part of what we're doing. So Jeffrey, earlier you mentioned free storage in your cloud cellar in Napa for an unlimited time for 500 bottles. Why did you decide to offer this? Yeah, when you think about how consumers experience and discover wine, one of the things we realized is there's a lot of factors involved, such as space someone has at home, like the outside temperature when you are looking to buy wine. The cloud seller allows us to knock down those barriers. Myself, I live here in San Francisco, and I don't have a wine cellar in my home. And, you know, I'm the owner of a wine company. I don't have a wine cellar. And I have a little wine fridge that holds 24 bottles. And so for someone like me or for the millions of people who live in cities like I do, that they just don't have a lot of space. The ability to be able to collect wine and not have the constraints around where you're going to store it has allowed people to become wine collectors when they otherwise wouldn't have the capacity to do so. We're having this call in December. You know, it's getting cold. And for many consumers where they live in regions that are cold, they otherwise wouldn't be able to participate in our limited time and limited quantity offerings because they just don't have like the ability to ship the wine when it's freezing outside. Cloud Cellar allows people, no matter if you have space at home or not, whether it's too hot or too cold, to participate and take control of your wine collection. And there's other benefits as well, Peter, like if you're in um, a relationship where you're the type of person who loved to buy bottles of wine and they show up at your door, but you have the husband or the wife that's like, hey, can you slow the roll on all this wine? Cloudsell is a great way to buy wine without your significant other even realizing it. So you can build a wine collection without that constraint as well. Best unique selling proposition ever. (laughs) (laughs) Robert needs to use that then. (laughs) I do too. What percent of your customers use Cloudseller? So it's a really interesting thing that we're seeing from our collector's consumer behavior, which is that most everyone uses the cloud seller to some extent. About 85% of our customers are storing around a case, at least. But most people are still using it as a mechanism by which, to Jeff's point, they never have to think about, like, can I get in on this amazing offer or not? Because I have space, because I already have enough wine. They can just like say, hey, I don't want to miss out on that. But still, the majority of people are shipping and drinking their wine because they don't want to wait, right? And so it's definitely for us, very, very important for the consumer experience to be able to kind of collect, to not have to miss out on offers because of space, because of time of year. But it's also a really, really important part of our company's future. And it really paves the way to kind of what Jeff and I think is the future of wine collecting, which is to be able to amass these really large collections with a really vibrant community and to start to trade with one another, right? And for us, that becomes a very, very feasible and realistic future in not the long, extremely far out distance because of cloud seller, right? All of this wine is being stored in the same location. Everyone has interest in to be able to interact. It's a very social activity. People want to exchange knowledge, exchange, like when they taste something really great, but someone else might have not had it, they want to share that with someone else. People might buy into an offer and are very happy with the majority of the bottles they got. One of the bottles they think might be great, but it's not their favorite. But someone else is like, that was the bottle I really wanted from that offer. We will have the ability to connect to those collectors from underground seller and allow them to start interacting and trading. And that to us is just really kind of completes that experience from a wine collecting wine experience So we've seen Underground Seller do quite a bit of social media advertising and direct mail marketing. I'm curious on what has been the most effective to drive awareness and conversion for Underground Seller. Our consumers on the Underground Seller platform 
span the gamut of age, income, geography. And so we are able to reach consumers no matter where they are and no matter what platforms or however they find companies, whether it's social media advertising like on Facebook, direct mail, radio. But I'll tell you the number one channel that we are growing our business is through direct referrals. When someone pays $30 and they get upgraded to a a $1,000 double magnum of Camus that's been autographed by Chuck Wagner, they are going to tell everybody they know about this amazing $1,000 bottle they got for $30. And especially when we talk about large format bottles in particular, you better believe they're going to have a dinner party. They're going to pour the wine for all their friends. And they're not going to be shy to tell them, hey, I got this really super rare, expensive bottle for $30. And all their friends are going to be like, what? How? And so we see the people organically talking about Underground Cellar. And our brand has gone viral. And people love it. And we really built something that's a win-win. Consumers love it. The winers love it. The industry loves it. And I think that's the reason that we are among the fastest growing wine companies in America today. And is there something that you're doing to incentivize the referral? Because I got to imagine a lot of companies do that. Like, how do you help nurture that along? Is that something you guys are pushing on? We believe like organically people want to share based on just the excitement of the platform. But we do offer a give 50, get 50 program. If you are a customer on the Underground Seller platform and you want to refer a friend or family member, you can send $50 to any friend or family member. When they make their first purchase, you'll get $50 as well. You also asked about the cloud seller. And again, it's something that's like so strategic for us and gives us so much opportunity and value to people that are buying through the platform. Robinhood has a really interesting referral program, right? You go to Robinhood and you say, hey, refer someone and we'll like give you a free share of Apple or Google or whatever, right? Uh, and we have the ability to say, hey, like, listen, we'll put something in your cloud seller, right? And so there's a bunch of different things that we're looking at that are also unique to our platform that we're positioned to do that no one else can do that also align with helping people build a collection and become collectors. So Barbara Corcoran, most famously known as someone on Shark Tank, is an investor, but you guys weren't on the show. How did that come about and how important has she been in the marketing of Underground Seller? Barbara has been amazing. And it's actually a fun story on how I ended up meeting Barbara. It actually starts with Mark Cuban. So there was this profile on Mark Cuban that I was watching on TV. And what he said, he said, he's like, I love when founders email me. And he's like, oftentimes I'll even respond. And so a quick little Google search, I found his email address. I wasn't even convinced it was his real email. But I emailed Mark Cuban. I said, hey, Mark, hop on a private jet. Come out and meet me and the team. We're doing something really unique in the wine space with gamification technology. We think you'll love it. And lo and behold, Mark responded. And he said, sorry, guys, not into wine. Don't do alcohol. We said, Mark, you really need to hear about this. you got to meet the team. Come on out and meet the team. I'll tell you. Three more emails later with him eventually saying, stop emailing me. We got the hint. But what I did was I uh, forwarded the email to Barbara Corker. And I said, Barbara, Mark passed on her deal. Let's prove him wrong. And she thought that was the funniest thing. And she was just like laughing hysterically. And so she then introduced us to her fund manager. And after several months of due diligence, Barbara took the leap and invested. She's been extremely helpful. She filmed a testimonial video for us. Anytime we need anything, we reach out and Barbara's there. She's been a great asset to the company. So I am curious on going back to technology for a little bit. As you guys have been developing your one part tech company, one part wine retailer, are you finding that you have to, you're investing a lot more in the tech space than you thought you were going to have to do initially? And is that an area of more investment and growth for you in the future? We're doing something that has largely never been done before. We've invented this gamified upgrade model, and we've also decoupled the buying from the shipping. And so because of that, from day one, we've built our platform from scratch, from the ground up in-house. And that's because we see our business as not just a platform where wineries can sell wine, but we're building a platform that we believe can change not only the wine industry, but all of commerce. And in order to do that, we felt we had to own the technology, we had to build it in-house. And that's everything represented from technology team we built. But you look at the structure of our, of our company. Right now, we just passed 60 employees. And you look at the makeup, it wouldn't be the makeup that you'd look to see at a traditional like wine company or wine retailer. We have data scientists and business insight analysts. And we are so smart around data and building these playbooks. And that is our core competency. That's our secret sauce. 
our goal is to get a strong foothold in the wine space where just the next like year or two, if a winery isn't partnered with Underground Cellar, they will be at a significant disadvantage in the space. And that is all fueled by our technology and the data and the insights that we're able to produce. So given our discussion on gamification, cloud storage, all these wide variety of topics, what do you see as the next major trends in wine retail and what's coming up next for Underground Cellar? Well, I can tell you what's coming up for Underground Cellar and where we think the wine world should go. And again, it has to do with the, like it's along the same lines that we've been talking about throughout this conversation. And that's really giving more access with better value, with no barriers to entry for as many people in the world that are interested in wine, right? And there are 84 million people in the U.S. that self-declare themselves as wine drinkers, right? And the question is, is like, what type of wine drinker are they today? And what type of wine drinker do we think they should be in the future, right? We think that if it's an amazing experience for a few and there's people that have interest in it, then it should be an amazing experience for a lot of people. And so that's how we're thinking about the next stage of the business, which is to continue to develop these deep relationships with the supply side, to scale that out across the U.S. and to really to get access to some of these small wineries that bring them to people throughout the U.S. that wouldn't otherwise know about them. So giving more exposure, helping people build more variety and a better collection, making the experience to be as seamless and easy and fun as possible. That's a really important thing for us is to make this experience fun and exciting. So the whole discovery, the gamification, the additional value, we have a whole slew of things that we're building out within our our roadmap. The next step after that is to really build this community that exists within Underground Cellar to connect all of our wine drinkers, turn them into wine collectors, and find that value uniquely within Underground Cellar right? Like you are a better collector. You have a more exciting experience. You find more value. You have a collection that has access to other things that you otherwise wouldn't have if you weren't collecting within our community. That's the big kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for all of the people engaging with us and for our vision as a company over the next 12 to 24 months. That's great. To wrap up the episode, we want to end on a personal note. So I'm curious if each of you could tell us what has been the most memorable wine you've had in the last year and who did you drink it with? Cool. I'll start this off. One of the amazing perks to being the founder and CEO of a company in this space is just the unique experiences that I I get to have. I'm so honored and humbled to be able to have them. Last week, we were invited to an amazing estate the late Robin Williams' personal estate called Pimre. It was purchased by the Tesserone family. And if you're familiar with that name, they are an amazing high-end producer called uh, Ponte Canet out of France. And they recently bought the Pimre property here in Napa. And so we were invited up to the top of this hill. Very few people get to go to this property. And when you walk inside, not only is it a beautiful view, there's so much unique history in this building as well. Justine Tesserone, one of the leaders of the organization, she told us a story how Robin Williams was really great personal friends with Christopher Reeves. As you know, he had this uh, accident and he's in a wheelchair. And so Robin Williams actually reconstructed his home to make sure that Christopher, when he came over in his wheelchair, could access a majority of the home without having to go down steps. And as a gift for that gesture, Christopher gifted uh, Robin Williams this beautiful, gigantic chandelier, which is sort of the hallmark emblem when you walk into this palatial building. And not only is the space beautiful and with the history of, you know, Robin Williams and the celebrity factor, but the wines that Pimray is making, small production, delicious, bold reds, takes the craftsmanship of the Ponte Canet family and their beautiful expertise, and they brought it to Napa to make amazing wines here in California. And I would say, you know, with every sip, you can really taste the love that when the vines that Robin Williams planted and now is making delicious wines under family of wine experts. And I would say that would be my most memorable wine that I've drinking recently. Awesome. Thanks. And Jeff, what about you? Oh, what about me? So my story goes back to kind of an emotional connection that I have with 
wine, the experience of drinking it in just a beautiful place. And I don't know if you've ever been to a winery called Linmar, but it is like one of my personal favorites. I actually uh, introduced Jeffrey to the experience at, at Linmar, and it's now become one of our go-to places that we go and have some like great meetings where we're thinking about the future of the wine world. But when I moved out here in 2008, it was one of the first places that my wife and I went and spent some time, and we just fell in love with the property. It's like absolutely one of the most beautiful places that you'll ever go to. And if either of you haven't gone, we need to take you. And they have this big edible garden, and they have a, an on-premise chef that does a couple seatings per week, and it's just a magical experience. And then on top of that, they have some of the most delicious pinots that I've ever had in my had in my life. And they have one, the two owners, it's a married couple named Lynn and Anisha Fritz. And one of my favorite wines that they produce is called Anisha's Blend, named after Anisha. And it's just a very memorable bottle of Pinot in a very memorable place. And I just recently was up there with my wife and we had one of those seatings for lunch in this property, like in the fall when everything's turning, all those beautiful colors. And so that for me rises to the top of my list right now. Anisha's blend from Linmar. Awesome. It's it's always amazing when we ask this question, like how much detail goes into the actual surrounding context around all these things. It just talks about how powerful a bottle of wine can be in the right setting and really instill and ingrain those memories for people. Peter and I want to thank you both for joining us, Jeffrey and Jeff. We appreciate all your insights and helping us fill out this series on the future of wine retail. It was amazing to be here. Thanks so much for inviting us and hope to chat again soon. Great. Thank you so much for having us. And, you know, if any of the uh, listeners are intrigued by what we are offering, we are happy to offer all your listeners $100 towards the first purchase. All they need to do at undergroundseller.com is enter promo code XCHATEAU. You'll get $100 off and your first order $150. X-C-H-A-T-E-A-U to get $100 off the first purchase. And thanks guys for having us. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, Jeffrey. We really appreciate that. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash xchateau if you'd like to support us in bringing you the highest quality content on the business of wine. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.